welcome back to another episode of the Art First Commerce Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Levy, and we are sponsored by Masters in Motion. Um, so I recorded this episode with Salvatore Totino, ASC, AIC, um, a few weeks back prior to the uh, coronavirus situation that we're in right now. Um, but I'm recording this, uh, the, the opening right now, um, just a day before we launch it. Felt the need to address that fact just so you know, um, you know, why we don't really talk about it at all, why it doesn't come up. Uh, it's obviously something that's on the top of all of our minds and affecting all of us greatly. So for it to not be uh, mentioned at all, I think, without this little notice would have come off maybe as a bit strange. So that's the reason why. Um, but Sal, it was an amazing conversation. He is such a fun guy to talk to. He was a uh, presenter at Masters in Motion this past year. Uh, and I think anybody that was there would agree about his his bravado and candor and honesty uh, just make for, you know, an awesome person to get insight from about, about, about the craft and about... Um, how things are. He um, has an unbelievable career. He has done uh, Any Given Sunday and um, Frost Nixon, um, Everest, um, Bird Box that was recently a hit on on Netflix. Uh, you know his his career is long and it and it has so many um, interesting and great great films on it, um, including also like Spider Man Homecoming. Uh, just just the other year. So um, obviously a um, an exceptional talent and someone that is at the top of his game, um, being in the ASC and the AIC, uh, well recognized for his work. And so um, to kind of speak about his whole career and everything that he went through and has been through is really great. And his level of honesty about um, big personalities that he's had to work with, um, big tentpole movies and kind of the different challenges that those bring as opposed to smaller ones. Um, he's really been through it all and is happy to talk about it all. And I think it's what made the conversation really so great and, and, and so much fun. So I, I definitely really enjoyed this one. And, you know, in terms of um, just thinking about it now, just, you know, I think everybody's conversations are constantly dealing with Corona. So I think um, different forms of entertainment are going to be our escape in these uh, difficult times, especially as we just sit at home um, doing the right thing. So hopefully this can be an hour to kind of take a break and uh, enjoy enjoy this conversation with Sal, who's a, who's a really fun, uh, upbeat guy. And so like I said, um, we're sponsored by Masters in Motion. People like Sal uh, come to present either, you know, ASC cinematographers, ACE editors, big time production designers uh, every year, uh, every December in Austin uh, has been the case. And this, this December will be the 10th annual. And um, the uh, creators have been trying to do a, a, um, a summertime version, this time in June in Philly. Um, hop, hopefully, hoping that that, that that goes off without a hitch. We'll see how the events unfold. But uh, that is currently on the books. If you go to shooteditlearn.com, you can learn more about everything. And of course, um, as things develop, uh, the news about how that will go will continue to come out. But for now, uh, everything that you need to know about the the great events that they put on are uh, on shooteditlearn.com. And so now, uh, this week's guest, Salvatore Totino, ASC, AIC. Thanks for being here. Since Masters in Motion in December, I was curious if you had been up to anything um, industry-wise, if any, any work or any shooting or anything or in post on anything. 
no, I, I did a couple of commercials. Okay. Uh, nothing really exciting. I am uh, up for a couple of big projects right now. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting, actually wait for a phone call. Okay. Uh, one, one in particular I really want to do is called the White House Plumbers. Uh-huh. Uh, it's about Watergate. It's about uh, oh, wow. Gordon Liddy and E. Howard Hunt. So it's kind of, you know, it, it kind of would be like a, a circle for me, you know, having done Frost Nixon. Yeah. And then sort of doing the other side of it as well. That's actually, that's quite incredible to be able to be on both sides of that. Um, do you feel like you would pull anything visually from Frost Nixon into that in sort of like a Watergate cinematic universe type of thing or no? I don't know. You know, that uh, kind of depends. Mm -hmm. I think I think I probably would approach it with a little different color palette. Yeah. So really going to depend on the production design and costume design. Sure. You know, uh, it's it's just interesting to try to make you know, 1970 right now. Yeah. The, we're going to shoot uh, New York for DC and a little bit in Los Angeles. So, you know, it's a bit of a challenge. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I haven't, I haven't done a series. This is a five or six part series. Oh, really? Okay. So, so not a, a feature. It's a one-off. Yes. Yes. And I have never done that before. So I'm excited working in a new, uh, a new arena, so to speak. Yeah, and you know, I really, I really like the um, the limited series because you still get to work on a very known story arc where you can make some bigger decisions cinematography wise, knowing that it will come to an end versus something that might be unending season upon season. What was your best? Uh, which one you liked the most last year? Last year, well, currently I'm like in terms of limited series, I'm watching The Outsider right now, uh -huh. and it's just blowing uh, my mind. Yeah, no, but last year. I'm I haven't saw The Outsiders, so I can't mm. answer. <laughs> Last year. Um, it wasn't Lawless, but the one about the women miners. Oh, um, interesting. Do you, know, do you know the one? That I, I was just obsessed with Chernobyl. I thought it was brilliantly done. Oh, yeah. I the mean, cinematography was amazing. The acting was unbelievable. It was, it was perfect. And I think that, that that's actually a great example of knowing exactly what you're trying to do episode in episode out knowing that you're going to get to the end because it, it you know the story doesn't isn't going to go on and there's just such an advantage to that for making something so dialed in and we all know the outcome of that story yeah however we didn't know the grave details of it no and and, and that's what was so fascinating you didn't realize how many millions of people would have died if it wasn't for those two men I know, I know. And what I, they did. It's amazing, too, because it's like, you, it doesn't matter that the audience knows the ending. It's, it's all the details along the way, which is such a fascinating... There, there is no way to spoil it, which is a very unique position for content to be in. Well, it's interesting how it relates to today, because you don't know, we don't know what the truth is that's coming out about the coronavirus. True. In China. Yeah. You know? Um, yes, they are a lot more open than the Soviet Union was at the time, but we don't know. We don't know how much uh, is being held from from uh, the public. Yeah, it is always interesting to think about things going on. I mean, gosh, the thing that you're up for now, Watergate and everything that's been going on with um, impeachment and, and those things happening now, I mean, everything is kind of, you know, reflections just in a different era. Yeah, it's just history repeating itself in a whole other, you know, in another way. But it's nothing's really changed. No, no, it it really, you know, if you think about it, nothing's really changed. It doesn't feel like that. Well, you know? well, cool. I, I, um, I, d I definitely wanted to like look back through your career and kind of go go from the the beginning and kind of talk to you about everything that 
that you've been through. And I think um, just to start, you know, I think it's notable that you got your start in, in music video working with major artists like um, R.E.M. and Bruce Springsteen, Radiohead, U2. And, you know, that's such a there was such a long run of so many music videos. And what was it what was it like during that period? And why did you enjoy that medium so much to be doing it for so many years? You know, it was very different then than it is today in music videos. The record company was not involved at all in the creative. Oh, wow. So the director would just write a treatment that was, you know, something interesting, and then you'd create it. So you kind of work together on an art project. Yeah. Um, and you love the song, and you love the band. So, you know, you didn't feel, you didn't feel like it was work, and you didn't feel like, uh, like when I do commercials, you're selling a product, and you have an ad agency, and, you know, people have their opinions and thoughts about things and how things need to be done. You just had uh, free reign to be creative. And you found ways to tell a story visually yeah. as a cinematographer, along with how the director was telling the story and wanted to tell the story. So, you know, it was a very collaborative environment. It was a lot of fun to work in. I don't, it's very rare that that environment happens today. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that the music video industry is like that at all now. But yeah, but even in films too, it's oh, very okay. rare that, that it's like that. Yeah. You know, as well. You know, it's one thing unless you're working on a small independent project, like when I did Tax Collector with David Ayer, David called all, all the shots and that was it. You know, we worked together, we collaborated together, we created together. It was a lot of fun. There was no studio executives, there was no creative producers, there was nobody coming in going, well, I think we should be this and I think we should do that. Um, it, you know, it's tr sort of true filmmaking where I think we've, we've been moving away from that with the way uh, the industry is structured now. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds like a bit of talking about somewhat of the good old days in terms of... Um, I mean, you still have some of that. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Like, you know, Tax Collector we did two years ago, okay. uh, a year and a half ago. Yeah, that's, uh, that's coming, recent. It's coming out shortly. Um, you know, there's great independent films that, that are out there now. Mm -hmm. that are more working in the in in that kind of collaborative way but they're far few between that's you know that's all yeah when you were working with those musicians in the beginning and the directors for those more collaborative interesting artistic things what do you think you were taking away from that as because i mean that was like your first foray into bigger projects and you were a young cinematographer what do you remember taking away the most from from those years, how do, how do you think that started um, a well, journey for you? The biggest, the, I, I would say the biggest thing was learning how to stand naked in front of people. <laughs> and, and, and what I mean by that is just being creative and being bold and yeah. not second guessing yourself and taking chances yeah. and experimenting. Yeah. Where, you know, and that's, that's what I really took away from all that is. I have these ideas, but actually, you know, I could try them. You yeah. don't have to, you know, let's try this idea. Let's test this idea. Let's, let's see where it could go. Or, you know, sometimes you didn't have time to test it. And you're like, all right, I'm going to fly by the seat of my pants here mm -hmm. and see how well, how well it turns out. And by, by doing that, just gave me a lot more confidence in myself as a cinematographer. Yeah. And that it helped me to move sort of forward. Mm-hmm. Now that makes perfect sense. I could see being in that type of environment how how um, 
liberating that is and such a such a good environment to really get a sense of your own creative self. Yes. Yeah, because you, you really find yourself and you could find your voice. Um, do you feel like you, you had a sense... How would you have described that voice back then in any way that you could actually take it from the abstract and talk about it in more concrete terms at that time? Oh, I, I, I was a little cocky back then. Yeah. <laughs> I would say so. Uh, mm. You know, not, not proudly, but yes, I, I was. Uh, you know, I, it's, you know, that's kind of a... You just were bold. Mm. You were allowed to be bold. Yeah. And, and you didn't give a fuck. <laughs> and it was like, you know what, this is, it's going to be this way. I'm going to do it like this. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that the biggest thing with that is it's, it gave me the confidence in myself. Yeah. No, if that that's answering sense. your question. No, it, it does. It does. Because I, yeah. I guess one of the things that I was curious about is, so you were doing music videos like this for a solid six years. Um, that's a really long time in one genre, and I was curious. Well, I was doing commercials as well at the same oh, time. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that, yeah, make, that, yeah. that makes I, sense. I, I was doing both. It wasn't just music videos. Oh, okay, yeah, I was just looking at IMDb trying to gather yeah. info. But that no, that that makes sense. But I guess even regardless of that, like, how are you actively trying? When I'm when I talk to to different people, it kind of falls in both ways, and I'm always curious how each person does it. Like, were you in terms of plotting where you were going to go next, and how you were trying to get to the next level? Was that stuff that you were just kind of riding the wave and seeing what opportunities came or that you were actively trying to figure out your next move? Because, of course, like the next, the big feature that you run into is um, Any Given Sunday. And I'm just curious how you chart a course to get there. You know what? I, it, that wasn't a plan. That wasn't like, oh, you know, here's my plan. Here's my one-year plan, five-year plan, mm -hmm. eight-year plan. It, you know, it was nothing like that. It was more of like, especially for me and where I come from, I was very lucky to be in the position uh, to do what I was doing. Yeah. As a, you know, that, the fact that I became a cinematographer. Mm -hmm. um, what do you mean? Well, you know, I, I grew up in an immigrant family. Mm -hmm. My parents immigrated from, uh, from Italy to America, very working-class neighborhood. My father, my mother really worked hard. Uh, I wasn't that great at school. Some learning disabilities and dyslexia. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, I went to college for a little bit, and then I quit. Became an electrician. Uh, then I was going to take the New York City policeman. I took the New York City policeman's exam. <laughs> I was going to become a cop. Wow! And I wound up getting a job in uh, film business as a PA. And oh, I wow. moved my way up. And, oh yeah, August fourteenth, nineteen eighty-five. I'll never forget it. It was mm. my first first job. It was PAing on a Duncan Hines. <coughs> cake commercial <laughs> and i was like holy shit this is fucking incredible yeah so you know for me so that's what i'm saying i'm lucky that i've i've actually come from nothing and, I, and i'm where i am today yeah uh, and i and i moved up you know through hard work and being creative so when i always wanted to be a dp mm. and when i moved up through the camera department and made that transition to cinematographer I just was always looking at myself and improving and wanting to improve my, my own creativity, my own work. So I didn't look at, I was like, yeah, I want to do feature films, but I didn't plan anything out mm -hmm. per se. Mm -hmm. I took every job um, and tried to bring my best creative ability to that job, whether it was a commercial or music video. I've done over like 700 commercials in my whole career yeah. as a cinematographer. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of happened through osmosis, really. It's just, 
just feeling free and being creative. Yeah. Um, I happened to get lucky at my agent at the time was representing uh, Bob Richardson. Mm. And Bob wasn't available for any given Sunday. And Oliver wanted some new young blood. And he sent a couple of young cinematographers work to Oliver. And, and I met Oliver a couple of times, interviewed with him. And he liked my work and uh, gave me the opportunity. Now, you know, I didn't think I didn't think twice about it. It was like, okay, you know, it's going to be a creative thing. And just kind of move forward. I grew up in a tough neighborhood in uh, in New York, and I didn't really think twice about what I was getting myself into. Probably for the best. Um, it was fucking intense. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, it was those, really intense for those interviews before you got the job. What were what were those like, and what do you think? he chose I mean outside the prerequisite of liking your cinematography why do you think he chose you based on how those interviews went yeah I, I couldn't answer that yeah I, I really couldn't answer that yeah. you know it's it, I, I guess Oliver just saw something in me that would bring something different to how old were you at the time I was 33 okay. 34 okay no 35 35 sorry mm-hmm. you know which Dan was young. Today, it's old to start. <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of cinematographers out there today that are doing feature films uh, a lot younger. Um, yeah. The, the industry's changed a lot. Yeah, yeah. So going into it, um, into the shoot, you're saying it was very intense. What kind of emotions are there? I'm sure you're excited, but also nervous. Like, how are you handling... I mean, your first major narrative is with Oliver Stone... You know, I wasn't. I wasn't nervous. No. You know, it's where I grew up. You couldn't be nervous. Right. You're walking down the street, and some, you know, you had to always look over your shoulder. So you, you couldn't walk down the street nervous because you'd get picked on. Mm-hmm. So you always had to exude the confidence. So I, I never, th- I never really got nervous on any given Sunday. I just, it, you know, it was the mountain I had to climb, and I was climbing it. Yeah, well, I guess in that you know, case... You, I don't, you don't just, you just didn't think of it. I mm. didn't think of it at the time. You know, I know it's hard to understand. I think people go, oh, yeah, of course, you had to be nervous. No, it didn't, it, it didn't cross my mind. You know, I mean, it was more about how to maneuver through the day mm. with all the landmines that were placed around, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, Oliver and his, you know, uh, little manipulating ways. What do you uh, mean? <laughs> you know, he would be, you know, he would mess around with people mentally a lot mm. you know so you you had to you know you had to be careful about where you where you were going and what you were going to do next and how you were going to approach it any examples you know? so, on what you mean by that <laughs> sorry uh, any examples on what you mean by that manipulation was it to get the best out of you or well yeah i think so you know oliver's a, a method director he becomes what he's directing Oh wow! And 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 the testosterone and the machismo and the battle mm. of war in a football game yeah. was happening every day behind the camera. Oh my god! In a way, well, yeah. Oliver said the first day of, cin- of cinematography, he said, "Welcome to Vietnam." And I was like, "What the fuck's he talking about?" You know, yeah. what happens in Vietnam? You're at war, and you're either coming back dead or alive, or with some serious PTSD. You know? Yeah. Um, so is that. You know, I can't get into like. No, I got you. That's fine. My my new details. No, but, no, no. You know, that answers. There was, there was, there's a scene in the movie where Jamie Fox and uh, LL Cool J have a fist fight on the field, 
Yeah. And Al Pacino's breaking it up. It's a, it's a written scene. Well, they wound up having a real fist fight. Mm. Wow. Oh, yeah. We had the whole crew just emptied out and how to separate, and the football players, we had to separate everybody. This is really intense. So that's, that's kind of what you're dealing with every day in one way or another. Yeah. Um, and, and frankly, I think kind of keeping your cool and not being intimidated by them sounds like part of the equation for your success in a general sense. My, my reference on any given Sunday to myself yeah. was Raging, Raging Bull. Okay. And I really drew from Raging Bull. And I, the thing about Raging Bull is you felt his emotion, his psyche, his psychology when he was in that ring. So my whole feeling about any given Sunday was I want to put that camera in there. I want the audience to feel that psychology, feel what it's like to have that battle on the field. So all these little landmines that were popping up all day, they, they were like, you know, you were just stepping over them because you were figuring out where I'm going to put the camera Yeah. to what make it, you feel like you're in a football game. Yeah, yeah, the actual job you're there to do. Well, yeah. what, what do you think the major takeaways were from that experience? If you had to distill it into like what you brought on to the, you know, to the next one, what do you think it was? Well, you know, that was my first experience, and I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I don't want to do feature films. Really? This is what they're like. Yeah. And I didn't touch the script. You know, when I came home, there were a pile of scripts waiting for me. I was like, no way. I didn't touch one for over a year. Because of uh, how intense it was? It took a while to get back into it. So I guess you could say I came home with PTSD. Wow. Um, yeah. It I was, uh, you know, it was because it was intense. And afterwards, you don't realize the situation until afterwards. Totally. It's like, it's like when you're a kid and you got into a fight. Yeah. The, you were just in the middle of the fight, and after the fight, yeah. when when, the, when you started to feel your adrenaline, mm. did you start to shake and be nervous? Would you consider it a positive experience then for yourself? Oh God, it was so positive. Mm. You know, I look back on it and I think about it often, and it's really helped me in many ways as a cinematographer and gave laid a foundation for myself that's really helped to push me forward and realize that you know what. There's nothing I, I can't do that I don't want to do. Right. You know? So even, even though yeah. it was as difficult as it was and it, you wanted to be away from it for a year in terms of doing features, you, you would still, it's positive. Yeah, it took time for that. And, and even today, you know, I still think of it. Yeah. You know, when I, when I did Cinderella Man with Ron Howard, um, you know, Ron's like, how are we going to do this boxing? I'm, I'm like, you get in a ring with the camera. <laughs> He's like, well... No, so you might hurt an actor. You might hurt yourself. It's like, no, nobody's going to get hurt. We're just going to do it. Yeah. You know, and, and that, you know, any given Sunday gave me that confidence. Cool. To, to be able to push forward and to try things. And, uh, you know, I was a really in between the actors with the cameras on Cinderella Man. Yeah. And not, not once did I get hit accidentally. Mm. Or nobody, or not one actor got hurt either. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then there's Everest. I, I have no desire to climb. It's not part of my uh, my psyche. I have, uh, you know, it's nothing I do in my pastime, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But th this film came up. It was an incredible story. I was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this. You know, we were on sides of mountains in harnesses, on ropes all the time. 
I got frostbite in my toes, nerve damage. It was just... It's intense. Intense. And it was hard. And it was really rewarding. Yeah. And well, I, got, I got to go to Everest. got to go to base camp. I got the helicopter above the ice falls. It's incredible. It's just like, where the fuck do you get to do that? Like, <laughs> no. No, and I'm, it's like, I'm not doing that on my own time. Right. I had no, I had no interest in, in it. But when I was there, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I like to, like, it, you know, filmmaking, when it's done right, should be a contact sport. Like, you should be up and in it and not, um, I don't know, passively. Like, I don't, I don't even see how it's possible to do any, anything like this in a passive way. Well, I, you know, you, you can't quite say it like that because there are cinematographers that don't get into the fray. Mm. You know, they have operators, and the operators will. They'll come up with a, the theory and how they want to approach this, the photography, and mm -hmm. then they'll sit back and sort of... Uh, like a conductor, mm -hmm. you know, um, conduct the orchestra. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of like Patton. Like, <laughs> <laughs> to the fight. Not exactly an, <laughs> an orchestra conductor. Right. Uh, and I have respect for, for everybody and, and, and how they do it because everybody has their own sort of system. Yeah. Unlike, and like Patton, I got myself in some trouble too. But, um, you know, I, we all sort of do it differently, and uh, I think I think you can't really say mm -hmm. say what you said. I think you yeah. know it's a, it's you know everybody's different. Uh, they're individuals, and they they kind of approach things differently. No, totally. I think I guess it, the way that you go about it is the way that I go about it in my own projects, and I, I think it, what you're saying was resonating with me. So what I was saying wasn't yeah. universal, but it was personal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah. You know, you get five chefs together and give them the same, all give them the same ingredients. You get five different dishes. They're going to make it all different. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's, that's what's wonderful about what we do. And I think um, if you look at stories, you know, f films, films are told in so many different ways by so many different people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that's what makes them special because we are all individuals. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned Ron Howard, and I definitely wanted to t talk about that. Um, I mean, you went from working with Oliver Stone to Ron Howard. That's kind of an incredible one, well, too. I did, I did a film in between. Oh, okay. I did uh, Changing Lanes with Roger Michelle. Okay. And then I went and, and I, uh, I wound up, uh, my first film with Ron was The Missing. How, how did that come about? How, how did you get that opportunity? Well, Ron's producer, Ron was doing The Alamo. He was on to do the Alamo, and um, you know that, that story's sort of a little on the slow side, and they wanted to bring some energy to it. Ron's producer, line producer at the time, uh, loved Any Given Sunday, and he convinced Ron to interview me, and we interviewed, and um, I got the film with Ron, and then for certain reasons, Ron wound up not doing the film. And neither did I. And then a few months later, The Missing came up, and he called and said, hey, you want to do The Missing? And uh, you started our relationship at that point. And so... And that was a hard film to do. What made it hard? You know, we were in the elements. Yeah. We started out in Los Alamos, um, in the middle of a ranch, in the middle of the winter. It's, um, to move quickly is difficult. A lot of snow. and So there were a lot of... Um, different terrains on the film. Yeah. 
you know, getting in and out of them, working the cameras. It's uh, it was a challenge. It was a good challenge. Going and working with, with Ron Howard um, to compare that with Oliver Stone, what was that experience like? In night and day. Night and day. Go, going into it, was that um, something that you had been maybe briefed on or that you had heard? Like, how did, how did you come to really understand what it was like to work with him and how best to um, be, you know, be what he needed? I, I didn't think, I didn't hear anything mm. beforehand. I didn't, you know, like, I didn't do any research on Ron. I've always loved all of his films. Um, Apollo 13 was one of my favorite films. Tom Hanks looking out the window yeah. uh, uh, and just seeing the, the moon sort of leaving his goal uh, just kind of always resonated with me. And, and Ron's storytelling just always sort of resonated. And, and you meet him for the first time and he is incredibly nice extremely creative and he gets right to work and in our meetings he just started talking immediately creatively and he just sort of felt that this was going to be a good collaboration yeah and um you didn't get any sort of bully sense from him and ron is not like a bully he doesn't uh, seem like, like it you know or manipulative like you know oliver can be mm-hmm um, and you know, I, I listen, trust me, I love Oliver, and I would love for him to do another film, and love the opportunity to, do, to work with him again. He's asked me over the, the years, and the stories weren't quite what I wanted to do at the time. Mm. But I, you know, I'd love to work with him again. But they're different people, and and Ron, he's really nice and really creative, um, and he communicates. Yeah. So you you have a constant dialogue, and that's not wasn't the same with Oliver. Oliver, you know, and you got that sense right away with Ron when you met when you met him uh, in the interviews. Oliver's more quiet. He's more in his head. He's not gonna. He's not gonna show you his cards. Ron's gonna show you the cards and say, "Okay, how are we gonna make this better?" Mm, yeah. Now that definitely sounds you know? like the type of. He's like, here, here's the here's the blueprint to the house I'm building. Yeah. It's really fucking beautiful right how are we gonna make it better and you're like well you know what i don't know it's pretty perfect no we can make this better how are we gonna make it better and he he pushes mm. he pushes you to um to push yourself subconsciously you know it's really interesting there was a there's a, a poem by mary williamson mm-hmm. uh no uh marianne williamson's called our greatest fear and there's a line in it that it says um it is not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. Yeah. As we are liberated from our own fears, our presence automatically liberates others. And, you know, that's Ron mm. in, in, a, in, a, in a nutshell. You know, he, through his creativity and through his hard work and his dedication and his focus, you unconsciously... It's not conscious on his part. Unconsciously, he's pushing me. That's to real do leadership. Better. That's real leadership. You know, and, and that's what's really wonderful. When you're around that kind of energy, you just kind of elevate yourself, and you look at yourself, and you're like, you know, how how am I going to make this better? What can I do to to really improve on this? You, you know, not only you want to, you feel part of that creative process. That you know, it's like osmosis. It's just um, kind of growing in you. 
It's, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I was so interested to hear about this because, I mean, in terms of narrative films, six films in eight years together is really uh, quite a run and so much work. Yeah, um, a lot more than that. I think we did eight projects together. Yeah, in total. Um, yeah, yeah. Th- like, that's that's really... Yeah. I mean, that's rare. And, and especially, you're going... Like, the fact that... I'm just comparing it with Oliver that, you know... After you finish it, you couldn't even co- contemplate doing a feature for a year. And now you're doing so many films and like year after year after year. That, that really just speaks volumes about what you're talking about. Yes. Yes. And you, what's so nice about Ron is that you could throw any year idea out at him. Mm, yeah, you, it's safe. Like, oh, yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. Or you know what? No, I don't want to do that. Just a straight or, shooter. Or, or you'd be like. Really? Or you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, he's very straight. And he really is about what's best for the project. Mm-hmm. And he, Comes um, to work every day prepared. All of his homework. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, did you have a, a favorite that you've done together? Frost Nixon's one of my favorites. Cinderella Man's one of my favorites. Um you know, they're all kind of in different ways, but uh, I, I think in terms of my own work for myself, yeah. those two films are, you know, personally m- my favorites. I think they also the missing, were the most I, I, I really like doing The Missing. I think we made a, a, a big mistake because we were trying to make it PG-13, mm. and we could have, um, I think if we would have allowed it to, it wound up being an R rating, so if we would have allowed if we would have known that, we could have pushed that scary element a lot further. Leaned into uh, it. But I think we did a lot of, yeah, I think we did a lot of good things there. You know, Da Vinci Code was a very popular movie. Yeah. Uh, for me, Angels and Demons was incredible to light. Why? Because, because I was lighting the Sistine Chapel, <laughs> which, yeah. which, which we built, which we built. Okay. The Sala Reggio, which is the room that leads into the Sistine Chapel, and the type of lights I was, I was using, these 20K beam projectors at the time. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was like I was literally painting with light. Mm. Uh, and, and a lot of the other churches at the time. So it, it, that was sort of very fun. Yeah, for us, yeah. Nixon, I mean, just we had some budgetarily uh, challenged, uh, it was a budgetarily challenged film. Do you think that for, helped it in the end? I'm sorry, did I what? That, that, like, the budgetary um, difficulties, is there any world in which you might argue um, the limitations forced some creativity that made it better? Anything like that? Yeah, absolutely, because you're like, okay, I can't normally do this, so how am I going to be able to tell a story that where, yeah, I would have had, you know, a, a technocrane on every day of, of uh, Angels and Demons. I don't have that here. Yeah. I think you have to approach it creatively in a different way. You know, you now all the tools that you had, you don't have. Yeah. So you have to figure it out. You have to, you're going to build that house in a different way mm-hmm. with a different set of tools. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't stop you. It challenges you. And you enjoyed that on that I enjoyed, I enjoyed that so much. We did a scene in Frost Nixon. There's a drunken phone call when, the, you know, supposedly... Nixon called David Frost in the middle of the night. Drunk. I remember it. I remember. And we shot that. I shot that with four cameras, two different stages, two different sets, mm. with a live phone call. Cool. Yeah, and it was. And we shot on film at the time too. 
it was amazing. It was really amazing to do. And, and you know, it was, I think, looking back at Frost Nixon, I think that that scene was, um, was the most nervous scene for Ron. Why? You know, whether, whether it was going to work out, right? Whether the phone call, was he going to get the emotions that he was hoping to get with the live phone call? You know, there's four cameras, um, you know, dealing with the technology back then and, and the video feeds and the, mm. you know, the film cameras, the, the videos don't look that great. How can you talk to the operators on the other set when I'm on one set working? And it's a different stage, it's the stage next door. Yeah. Um, you know, so it wasn't a set within the same studio. It was a set. We were on stage eight on one set, and it was stage nine the other set. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you couldn't run back and forth. We were doing, you know, five-minute takes. Um, I could see that being just so much so much better in, in terms of that, that, that live conversation. That's so unique and interesting. It it elevated the film so much that every time since then any time i was on any other project when there had to be a phone call i would always say to, to the director hey can you get the actor on the other line it'd be better it'd be better for if you have the actor talking on the other line you know? yes yeah. yeah didn't always work out like that no but you know ron really pushed for that he really did that's and, awesome. uh, you know, those, those are those special moments that really make it a lot better. Yeah, if you can kind of distill it into one thing, what do you think you've taken from these experiences working with Ron into the rest of your career? Oh, uh, diversity. Mm. If you look at everything Ron's done, he's not the kind of director that has one genre. Yeah. There's some, There's some directors that sort of seem to tell similar stories all the time and tell it in a similar way. Yeah. Ron approaches every project in a unique way. Yeah, no, true. Yeah. And, and and his subject matters vary from, you know, spectrum, spec, you know, one end to the other. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about um, the documentary that you made with Ron, Made in America, um, about Jay-Z. You know primarily doing narrative music video commercial for two decades prior. Was this your first um, documentary? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say so. I've done some other like little things, but nothing, nothing like, like that. that. Yeah, I mean, that's that, kind that was of, a big deal. That was a really big deal. That's kind of incredible. As, as someone who is really not having come from that world, what did it, and especially this is happening, you know, in middle of your career, certainly not at the beginning, um, what was that? What was that like? Well, you know what? There was a whole machine in place because okay. that was like a concert, and there was a, f uh, a film company already running a lot of different cameras, in different venues because they were covering Ron's idea in many in many different ways. So it, it had spanned, you know, like over a month, a month and a half of time, where Ron and I did most of the work at the time, uh, at the concert, just a few days before leading up to the concert. So, you know, it was about giving prompts to other cameramen, you know, about what to shoot, what not to shoot, um, and some things I, you know, I had no control of. It, it was just something really big and, and uh, unusual in the sense of a documentary. Yeah, what, what, what intrigued you about the opportunities that documentary might have provided going into it? As uh, someone you know, who again, hasn't it, done it. It's, it's doing a different project with Iran. 
Totally. Yeah. You know, Ron always intrigues me, and it was uh, a new set of challenges. And in, in, in an environment that I was not familiar with or was part of my wheelhouse. Yeah. What, anything about um, the aspects of documentary that caught you by surprise? No. I think it would be nice to be a lot more involved. What do you mean by that? On a, on a project. I wouldn't mind getting uh, teaming up with a director from the birth of a documentary. Mm. And taking it all the way to its end. Mm -hmm. And I haven't done anything like that. That would be interesting. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's different. Something like this is, you know, it's a documentary, but it's very commercial. Yeah, I know what you, you know, mean. You know, I mean, it, I come, come mean. on, it's, it's Jay-Z's concert. It's, yeah. it's all about, you know, we're gonna, how many tickets we're going to sell, how much, you know, we, albums we're going to sell, and merchandise, all that sort of stuff really comes out of something like this. Where... You know, like uh, Matt Heineman did Cartel Land. He went and lived with lived with some cartels to do that that project. You know, that's that. You know, to get involved like that would be really interesting. I've never done anything like that. Yeah. Would you? Yeah. So you were saying that you you would be open to doing a doc, but it would need to be something a bit more grounded in the what a doc is normally trying to do in terms of less commercial and more. Yes. Trying to solve, yeah. you know, some. Or trying to talk about some really large problems. Well, that type it's of thing. about tell, tell, telling a story and trying to bring that story out to more people's attention. That hopefully that will have uh, an impact, will help resonate with people that might help to make a change in something. Um, that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's and that's kind of a little bit why, like, I tend to lean towards um, projects about real people. Frost Nixon, mm. Cinderella Man. Yeah. You know, the, the, they're real characters and, and you really uh, understand their lives and there's something in those um, people that in, in telling that story will, you know, hopefully make you think about yourself or about the world around you. You know, Jim Braddock, what he had done during that Depression era by instilling so much hope in people. Uh, you know, Frost Nixon, how he you know, defrauded the American public. Um, you know, maybe you go around thinking yourself, saying, hey, you know what, maybe I, I need to be more of an honest person. And so in that sense, your film just sort of resonated with, with the public as opposed to when you do a superhero movie that's just, you know, strictly entertainment. No, totally. Um, I mean, I, even, you know, even with like Everest. That's what I like about you know, the possibility of hopefully doing this other project. You know, mm. it's, it's about two real people that did some damage in this country. Mm. And yeah. what does that mean, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting because at least on, 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 on paper, on your resume, you know, going from the documentary, and now I'm starting to see it too with the fact that you're talking about how like variety and difference really is part of like a guiding factor for you because you went from at least somewhat of a doc. I know it's a bit more commercial, but you went from a doc then to um, Everest, which is such, uh, you know, in the total opposite direction in terms of being such a um, behemoth of a narrative with so much, uh, you know, there's a lot of stage work and you're on big sets and then obviously you're also in the field. Um, you spoke it, it, how it, grueling it, that was. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, the, the eight, but eight people died. Yeah. Eight people died, and then unfortunately, 
we had some Sherpers that died in our second unit that was up, that was going to go up to Everest after we finished filming. And oh, really? There was an earthquake avalanche and uh, and the ice falls and then some people died. That's fucking sad. Yeah. You know, and you think about, you know, how that might affect people. I think, you know, it's interesting. And that's kind of why you want to be, uh, for me, why I like being part of those sort of projects. What, just the fact that you're talking about things that happen to real people? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's like just knowing that it's based on a true story just does something to how it impacts you watching it, even though, you know, any story is intriguing, but just knowing that it really happened, there's a layer there that you can't, you just can't get otherwise. You can't. And now, Tax Collector that I did with David Ayer. Yeah. It's sort of about the Mexican mafia. Okay. And so their drug businesses in, in the way they conduct themselves. Now, it's all fictionalized. There's nothing you know, real about any of those, the characters in it. But what's real is about how they function. Mm. And how they move money around. And how, you know, this country does have a big drug problem. Um, you know, the hero is still a villain in this. Yeah. Movie. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I'm hoping that that will resonate with people as well, that they don't just look at that film just as entertainment, but as to, hey, what's happening um, in this country? Yeah. Right now, you know, we have a huge pro- drug problem. Um, you know, it's, so, in- it's interesting. You know? I, like, a lot of times when I talk with people who make who make docs that they're that they're doing it because of um, the ability to talk about problems that are going on in this world. And for narrative, that doesn't tend to often be the case, but it does seem like throughout your career, part of part of your ability within the craft of narrative, which has been great, is that you can also that, that you you don't abandon that 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 you could still you found a way that that is still a part of what's driving your decision making. Yes, it's very big for me. But let's look at that. Let's look at it. Uh, in terms of other films. Okay. Now, did you see The Joker this year? Yes. What I took away from The Joker, an awareness, a a bigger awareness about mental illness. Mm -hmm. And you, it made you really start realizing, you know, we have a huge homeless problem in Los Angeles. It's Mm -hmm. it's ginormous. Yeah. And when you, when you drive the streets and you see these homeless camps, you see these, crazy people constantly, you know, a major- not all of them, but a majority of them, talking to themselves, freaking out, doing weird things. They're mentally ill. Yeah. And when you, when you, so now you see Joker and you understand that this person was mentally ill and you see the guy who's homeless on the street, you look at him in a different way. Yeah. You're like, well, well look, there's a, there's a serious mental illness problem here. Mm-hmm. So for me, that film, and yes, it was it was extremely well done, incredibly acted, the best cinematography I've seen in years. The color palette, the production design, I think it was all just to me it was flawless. But what I walked away from that was a bigger awareness about mental illness. So that film really resonates with me, and that's you know I, I you know I'm hoping to do more projects like that. Yeah. But if you think about it, look look at what's around you. There's a lot more around you than you think about 
people's behavior and, and how it affects you. Look at Parasite. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, it's kind of a little funny. It's a bit of a thriller. But you, you look at those characters. The, that family were a bunch of con artists. Mm-hmm. You know? How many people are like that around you? A lot more than you think. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, it's it, it, it's so interesting, like hearing, especially at this point in the discussion, hearing all all the types of movies that you're really interested in and want to keep pursuing. Because I I did want to talk about something that when you were talking about at Masters of Motion, um, when you were getting to the point about shooting tentpole films and major studio films, and um, you know, like Spider Man Homecoming, um, and that you know how those can be so different from the types of films that you're dis- discussing in in terms of really having larger comments to say and that I think that there was something about that process of making those that you um, didn't enjoy and just wanting to, to hear you talk about that and I guess in particularly in comparison to what we have been talking about. Well, you know, uh, it's interesting you say that. Uh, homecoming, I didn't enjoy making as much as, you know, I did Space Jam 2 last summer. Yeah. I really enjoyed working with that. Um, it was the circumstances around it. Oh, okay. I think a tentpole film, they're great. You know, mm-hmm. they're great entertainment. Mm-hmm. They're a lot of, they could be a lot of fun to make. And they challenge you in very different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you come in, of course, a lot new, newer technology that you're working with and dealing with. Um, so in that aspect of it, it, they're interesting. Yeah. There's times, there's times they're not fun to work on. Yeah, what do you or, think, or what, what kills it's, that it's vibe? That or, or if it's another film that I've done that, um, you know, that you're not happy with the outcome or the process in making the film, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was the director or the producers or, you know, the circumstances around it. Yeah. Now, there's there's one or two others I'm not going to mention that, sure. that kind of had that. Yeah. Uh, effect on me, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I just want to, you know, I the tentpole films are fun. I, you know, if one comes up and I'm available, I would love to do it. Yeah. But that's not something necessarily that I'm going to uh, gravitate towards. Yeah. Because uh, as I said, you know, I like trying to find a story that has a little bit more uh, resonation. Mm-hmm. If that's a word, yeah. something that's going to resonate more with people, you know, Do you, it might affect them and have them, you know, walking away and thinking about life and and uh, meaning. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting that you mentioned Space Jam too, because I saw that that you had shot that. Obviously, it's not going to come out until next year, but I mean, as a as a child of the '90s, you know. Let me just say, <laughs> uh, Space Jam just meant so much to an entire generation. Um, what 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 drew you to saying yes to that project? Well, it was interesting. There was a, a different director and cinematographer on the film. Okay. And uh, an independent director, a very creative person. Uh, the studio was it wasn't jiving so well. Mm. And after 20 days of filming, they fired the director. Wow. And the, and the cinematographer left with him. Yeah, yeah and okay. A, a new, and a new director came in. It was somebody who I, I coincidentally interviewed for another film that he was trying to get off the ground, an interesting project about 1968 Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I started on a Wednesday, and the following Monday we were up filming. 
was really sort of a big challenge. Oh my god! And Mal- Mal- Malcolm Lee was directing, and he was incredible. And we wound up reshooting a lot of scenes that were shot already, and yeah. then doing a lot of new work. Um, so I, that there wasn't much time to think about that. It was more reacting. Yeah, that's unbelievable. And and I wanted to work with Malcolm. Uh, so you know, the studio called and said, "Hey, would you be interested in, in coming in and doing this?" Uh, we just lost the cinematographer, <laughs> and. You know, Malcolm's on board, and you know, would you, you know, the ability, the the chance to work with Malcolm, I, I was really interested in because we were talking about this other project, and I'm still hoping that gets off the ground. Yeah, um, it's about the the two track athletes that protested in 1968 Olympics when they won gold and silver. You oh, know, that's the, amazing. Yeah, um, so. You know, in, in a way, it was all a win-win situation, and having to come in and so there was no serious, no prep time. Serious time constraints. What's that? So it sounds like there was no prep time. There was very little prep time. Now there was some some stages and things that were already in place, and then some new stages that were being still being built and sets being built, and then some locations that we were going to revisit um, and reshoot. So it was kind of shooting prep on the fly uh so we would shoot all day direct and i would get together after work we'd shoot six days a week sunday would meet start prepping the, f- the following week just prepping as i was going along shooting um you know, it was a lot of visual effects on, on the studio work so you know it was a matter of getting green screens lit and then how to deal with the scenes that we're, we're filming yeah um so you know it was challenging but it was yeah, I had a great support team. The production, uh, the producer and production manager have been around a really long time. They were really uh, incredible, very helpful. Um, studio, you know, wound up being very happy in the end with everything. So, yeah, it was, you know, it was very little to no prep time. Now, do you, should you approach a film like that? No, but sometimes <laughs> when, when something happens, you got to come in and deal with it. You just deal with it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. I was I was looking forward to talking about that just because it's such a big childhood memory for me. Um, the original, it's it's. Uh, did, did, oh, you're gonna like this one. Then. Yeah, I mean, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm not ten really years old good. anymore, but I. I uh, I'm I not gonna I... tell you much more, but it's really good. Good. Uh, Don Cheadle's in it. Yeah, and he's a, he's and, excellent. And, yeah, and it's 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 a family story in a really good way. It's it's uh, funny. It's suspenseful. Oh, it's good. It's really well done. Yeah, I um I wanted to finish on I I had just spoken uh, to Colin Watkinson uh, this past week. Oh, Colin. Yeah, I yeah. love Colin's work. Yeah, yeah. So he, and he's a great guy too. Oh, I really enjoyed the hour uh, talking with him. It was for the it was for a podcast episode. Um, and um, I I I ended by asking him about it, and I'm curious to ask you because Colin was actually the first ASC cinematographer that we've had on the show, and and you're you're the second. Um. And I, I was curious to just hear about that, the relationship that you have to that and what that's meant to you. Um, what, what year did you become an ASC member? I think I became like uh, 2005, mm-hmm. 2006, mm-hmm. yeah, around there. And how, how did that, how did you get in? Who, was, who were the three people? Oh, Harris Savides recommended me. When wow. I used to work for Harris, I was his uh, assistant. Wow. Uh, and Harris helped me to become a cinematographer unbelievable and uh beverly wood i think they both recommended me beverly was uh she used to be at deluxe labs she was our guru mm-hmm. she was the cinematographer's guru you'd call her up and uh hey bev i uh 
I want this film to look like this, and I'm not sure, but what it may be, if I underexpose it by two stops, and then push it, and then maybe we do a silver retention, and I put it in the oven. You know, <laughs> you know what? You're crazy. Let me call you back. You know, so she'd call back, and she'd say, okay, this is what I think. If we change the chemical of the bath, and, and you expose like this, we could get you that look. Mm. And by them changing the chemical of the bath, they, they ruined the bath. So that's it for the night. So your film's going in the last of the night, mm -hmm. and, and they're going to ruin the bath uh, to, to try and experiment with you. Yeah. And that, that, that was Beverly, Beverly. She was our, uh, our guru. Wow. Cinematographer guru, yeah. She's since retired. She has a farm, and she's happy. <laughs> that's all you need. She's <laughs> very happy. So, you know, that, so that's... Uh, the, 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 they recommended me and um, what did it mean to you at the time? Oh, it meant a lot you know it was something that I always wanted to be part of um, why? It, it, you know well because I think that I want to help bring a different feeling about the ASC and mm -hmm. at the time you kind of felt that ASC members were untouchable like you couldn't really approach people um, it was a little bit easier for me to approach, call another cinematographer up because I had done Any Given Sunday as my first film. But today, cinematographers have a really hard time approaching other cinematographers that have done big feature films, yeah. unless you're part of this organization, you know? Yeah. Uh, at least it was then. And I think today, I'm sorry, I mixed that up. It was then, it was kind of harder. Like, so today, I make sure that I try to be available to people. Yeah. Like, have people call me, ask me a question, help some young cinematographers out. Um, yeah. So I think that it was such a big stature thing back, way back, that now it's become more of an environment to help other cinematographers mm -hmm. and help the film industry. And, and that's what I like about it. Yeah, you know, that's that's almost exactly word for word what Colin said. Yeah, he called me right before we talked. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> no, <just joking. laughs> he gave you notes. Um, he gave me notes, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I think that I that's... I should start talking about his film. His yeah, I, I think that that's really cool that that's kind of the, the thing that that is the guiding force about it. Um, that's really special, that that's the yeah. reason. Yeah, you know, it... it you know, it feels like, it can feel like an elite club. And I, mm -hmm. you know, I try to act like a, um, it's not. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I it'd be warm and welcoming to people. Yeah. You know, all you want to do is, you you know, film, as we talked about today, you know, resonates with you, makes you feel a certain way. It's thought-provoking. Um, it's entertaining. And you kind of want to see that move forward. Absolutely. So I think... Being a part of the ASC and being open really is going to help continue that path. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that's a great a great place to end. It's been an hour. Um, really, okay, cool. Really appreciate uh, you coming on and, and chatting about about your whole career. It's it's uh, it's awesome to hear about and to learn from. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Well, Thank thanks you again. Very much. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Take care.